This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, we have a story originally published in Slay, which we gave away a copy of last week. Desiccant was my favorite story in the anthology, so I'm thrilled to have it for the podcast. It's a wonderful twist on vampires, but the vampires aren't even the most horrific part of this tale. But before we get to tiny vampires, just a reminder that all episodes are brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. Thanks to Gallery, who supported us with a one-time donation this week. You have my eternal gratitude. Unfortunately, we don't have any new members of the Nightlight Legion this week, so remember, we need your help to reach our goal of publishing weekly episodes for you to enjoy. Just go to patreon.com nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Desiccant by Craig Lawrence Gidney, narrated by Sheree Stewart. The Bologna Heights apartments were run down. The pavement of the open semi-courtyard had cracks, concrete wounds that oozed out moss and straggling weeds. An old fountain spattered with bird droppings was filled with stagnant rainwater and trash. The first level beige brick had graffiti, obscene words and nonsense shapes scrawled across it. The balconies that faced the courtyard were overstuffed with plants, bicycles, and rusting lawn furniture. The cornices were crumbling, hip-hop and reggaeton blasted from open windows. Tichuba shuddered in revulsion, but she had no choice, did she? You get what you pay for, she thought, and a one-bedroom in Bologna Heights was what she could afford. At least she found a place to live on such short notice. Her sister's new boyfriend, Vaughn, had threatened to change the locks one too many times. Tituba loved her sister, Lee, but her choice in men was terrible. At least Juan, the last one, didn't misgender her. Yes, this place was below her standards, but, she reasoned, the lease was only for one year, and surely she could find a more suitable place by then. Inside the building, Tichuba saw worn linoleum and chipped paint on the walls. She picked up her keys at the office from a sullen clerk who couldn't pull her eyes away from a game on her phone and rode the old gear winding elevator up to the 14th floor. Phantom odors drifted down the hallway. Weed, old fried fish, and of course, boiled cabbage. Boiled cabbage was the smell of despair and deferred dreams. 1412 was semi-furnished with a futon couch frame and dresser drawers. It was on the other side of the building, so there was no balcony. The window faced the alley, which was full of dumpsters. At least it was clean for the most part. The only visible flaw was the discoloration right outside the air conditioning vent. Carmine smears dribbled from the grate. Tichuba touched it before she thought better of it. She felt a powdery dust on her fingertips. 
surprised to find that it was not dried paint or even worse, blood. Fabiana was late, as she always was. Tichuba had been sitting at the cafe for a good 15 minutes. She entered the space with a dramatic flair, her face wrapped in a bright orange scarf and wearing bejeweled sunglasses. Her hands were encased in some silvery gloves. Heads turned, whispers came up from the other tables. She always wanted to be noticed. While Tichuba had her moments, for the most part, she wanted to be left alone. Fabiana air kissed her and then ordered an Americano and a low-fat blueberry muffin. She ignored both of the items. How's the new place? And when's the housewarming? Fabiana asked her as she removed her sunglasses revealing violet-colored contact lenses. The place is ratchet, so there will not be a housewarming party. Lee and that scrub Vaughn practically tossed me out into the street. Mm, I thought Lee had your back, Fabiana said. She usually does, Tichuba said, when she's not digmatized. Vaughn pitched a fit when one of his boys asked him for my number. He threw around the words she-male and tranny and accused me of flirting. Lee didn't stop him. She became a whole other person, meek and useless. Girl, if he had called me those names, I'd have sliced him up. I still carry my knife in case anyone's fixing to get smart with me. Trust me, it got ugly. He was all, what type of crazy name is Tichuba? Frankly, I was angrier at my sister than I was at him. I felt betrayed. I'm so sorry for you, Fabiana said. Do you want me to do something to teach this dude a lesson? I know some people. No, she replied. I guess this is part of my journey. I thought I'd lucked out and wouldn't have to go through people around me rejecting who I was. I don't blame you, Fabiana replied. She finally ate a bite of her muffin, a tiny bird bite. You sleeping all right? She asked. No, why do you ask? Them bags under your eyes, child? You know what'll fix them. Hemorrhoid cream, it tightens the skin. I'm not about to put ass cream under my eyes, Tijuba said. Both of them laughed loudly, causing the other cafe patrons to glance in their direction. Fabiana said playfully, keep it classy, bitch. Tichuba swatted at her hand. Oh, hush. Seriously, though? Falling asleep isn't the problem. Hell, staying asleep isn't either. I sleep, but I wake up tired. As if I had a tough workout at the gym or gone a few rounds with a boxer. And when I wake up, there's always some weird reddish dust on me. It's not just me. My neighbors all look drained. One day, I saw a kid at the bus stop and his collar had stains of that red dust. Huh, said Fabiana. Have you heard about sick building syndrome? It's a place where all the occupants get headaches and permanent sniffles and fatigue. And I think the Post did a series about it. One of the buildings owned by the EPA had it. They had to close it. The effing Environmental Protection Agency had a sick building? You have to get out of there, Fabiana said. Or you need to get all normal ray on the building supervisor. Dust. Miles and miles, dune after dune of rust red, as far as her eye could see. A red that was the color of old blood, slowly changing from crimson to brown. She stood knee-deep in the middle of a valley, surrounded by mounds of the stuff. The sky above was hidden, obscured by a veil of red powder. 
She was sinking under, unable to get purchase on the feathery ground. The clothes she wore were reduced to blood-stained rags. It looked like she was shedding a membranous skin, like a snake. Her skin had abrasions, a network of thin cuts that were crusting over and flaking. She must move on before being swallowed whole by the wavering ground. If she didn't move, she would drown and die, forever preserved beneath a beautiful mummy no one would ever see. She must move or else she would die. She lifted one foot clear of the squelching redness and the wind began to blow. Dust rose up into the air into a corrosive mist that erased her body. Soon she could not see anything. All was lost in the simoom. Tichibu woke up coughing. Her body shuddered with the fit. She could feel something rattling in her chest as if her body were a percussion instrument filled with dry rice or sand. After the fit was over, she got up and switched the light on. Her tongue was heavy in her mouth, so she stumbled to the sink and drank two full glasses of water before she felt relatively normal. She put the glass in the sink, checked the time. It was 3.30 a.m., early enough for a second shift of sleep. But she was too wired to get back into her bed, and it seemed that she wasn't the only person up at this hour. The floor above her creaked with footsteps. Bologna's paper-thin walls revealed activity on either side of her apartment, coughing on the left, the plaintive voice of a distressed child on the right. Tichiba knew that falling back asleep would be difficult, so she pulled her phone from her charging port. Her headphones were on the ottoman next to her futon. That's when she first noticed the red dust. It was all over her mattress and futon. A fine sifting of rust-colored powder. She touched it. It didn't feel of anything. It was not coarse or smooth. It was feathery and insubstantial, even though she expected it to have a gritty feel like sand or salt. Then it moved. An infinitesimal slither through her fingers. A blur of micro-movement. Reflexively, Tituba shook the stuff off her fingers and headphones. It wouldn't come off. There was a slight disturbance, but then the powder dust settled back. It clung to the curve of the headphones, the whirl of her fingertips. Tituba rubbed at the dust, hoping to dislodge it with friction. That did not work. Her fingertips were stained. She muttered a curse word or two under her breath. She ran water over the stubborn stain at the kitchen sink. A piece of dried skin embossed with the fingerprint fell off her hand, leaving behind tender new skin. She watched as the opaque red crinkled skin settled in the sink. The powder dust plumped up with the water. Fat with sudden moisture, the flakes began to rise upward as if buoyed by an unfelt breeze. Red drops of old blood hung in the air, hovered, then they burst open. Tichuba screamed. The office door was locked, as it had been for the past two weeks. Tichuba had stopped by the superintendent's office before and after work, on the weekend, but the door had always been locked. The emails she sent were unanswered, and the phone calls went straight to voicemail. She didn't know if she'd even seen him during the time she'd been in Bologna Heights. Her neighbors confirmed that he was elusive and unreachable at the best of times. Everyone she'd spoken to had given her a why-bother attitude. 
When she told the residents in the mailroom or lobby about the mysterious, weird dust she'd seen, they just shrugged, as if defeated. One time in the laundry room, she asked Phyllis, an older woman who lived on the same floor, if she knew anything. Phyllis had been folding a child's clothes when Tichuba had entered the shabby basement with a week's worth of dirty laundry. Phyllis had grudgingly given her a greeting when Tichuba broached the subject. Yeah, I've seen it, Phyllis had said, dripping with attitude. Folks made us think about it back in the day. Nothing happened. But it must be unhealthy. So many people here have respiratory problems. And? Phyllis said as she went to unload the dryer that had just buzzed. Ain't nobody who owns this glorified flophouse care about our health. This ain't Northwest. Tichuba purposefully ignored the bitterness dripping from Phyllis's voice. Maybe not, but the dust isn't natural. I hear it rattling in the vents like tiny ants, like it's alive. Phyllis stopped folding the laundry and threw it into the basket. You a fine one to talk about unnatural things, she announced as she headed to the door. Tichuba said, excuse me? But Phyllis was already out of the room. Now she stood in front of the office door for the umpteenth time. She diggled the lock, even though she knew there was no point. Maybe Phyllis was right, and she should leave well enough alone. But she couldn't. Tichuba's entire existence had been full of struggles, starting from birth, and it didn't look like it was going to get easy anytime soon. The dancing dust was just one more obstacle to overcome. Tichuba went to the mailroom instead. She found the tiny room was full of packages and guessed that some of them were nebulizers and humidifiers. All week long, residents had unboxed the machines in the room, leaving a pile of broken down cardboard boxes. She had toyed with the idea of getting one herself to combat the dryness in the building. Fabiana was right. Bologna Heights was a sick building. Ever since she moved in, she had been plagued with low-key headaches that threatened to grow into full-on migraines. Her stomach was unsettled and food tasted weird. Walking down a city block easily winded her, and she began to notice discolorations on her skin darkness beneath her eyes, and white spots on her arms. Most of all, she was always thirsty. She would drink bottle after glass of water or juice, but she could never be satisfied. She didn't pee often for the amount that she drank. Where did it all go? She passed by the superintendent's door in futile hope. Warren not in again, said someone behind her. It was Ty who also lived on her floor. He was right around her age and height, with a muscular, lithe physique. His skin was dark and velvet smooth, his bald head glowing with head wax. At least, that had been his appearance. Now, crow's feet and forehead wrinkles marred the smooth expanse, and the lustrous blue blackness of his skin was dried out to a leathery brown. Apparently not, Tichiba looked away from Tai, hoping that he didn't notice her shocked reaction. He jiggled the doorknob as if to verify. Then he glanced at Tichuba and gave her a conspiratorial wink. Desperate times, he said, and he pushed against the door with his shoulder. The door quivered with the pressure and after a few more aggressive pushes, it popped open. Ty and Tichuba were immediately hit with a wave of stale air that had a slight cindery taste. They simultaneously began coughing in response. There was also another smell beneath that one, a smell of turned meat and the coppery tang of old blood. A haze of carmine simmered in the room, thick enough that they both had to wave it away. 
The shades were drawn so it was dim in the room. Oh my God, Tichuba said after her eyes adjusted to the gloom. There was a body slumped over a desk. She knew that it was a corpse. The angle of the head looked too uncomfortable to maintain and the visible eye was open. She switched on the overhead light and immediately wished that she hadn't. The older gentleman was in a gray mechanic suit and his mouth was open in a grimace. Dust pooled around the open mouth onto the desk. It was embedded in his skin, in his hair, and she could see flecks of it in the whites of his eye. Tai walked around the desk, reached out to touch the body. Leave it alone, Tichuba said. Tai lowered his hands and reached for his cell phone instead, presumably to call for an ambulance. Tichuba saw the wrinkled flesh, fold upon fold of thin skin, some of it so dry that the pigment had leached out. It didn't look like skin. It was papery, cracked like old parchment. And in the folds of skin, remnants of the red dust gathered. His mouth was open and a crumbled pink tongue lolled out past black and cracked lips. He looks like a mummy, Ty said after he finished speaking to the emergency operator. I wonder how long he's been here. Tichuba heard him, but she was distracted by the thin trail of red dripping down from the HVAC vent. Whatever lived there had drained the superintendent, had turned him into a husk. His skin had the same color and texture as a tamarind. She could only imagine the poor man's innards, the pulp toughened into sponge and coral. He's been sucked dry, Tichipa said. We're going to end up like him. With tweezers, Tichipa scraped the red residue into an old nail polish bottle she had cleaned out. Something was in the vents. Something that left behind this weird substance. She brought the bottle with her to dinner at a restaurant. The first thing Fabiana said when she saw Tichubo was, Girl, you look ashy and worn out. I know, she replied, waving the comment away. Listen to me, you were right. Bologna Heights is a sick building. Some kind of virus or something lives in the vents and gives everyone who lives there breathing problems. Last week, one of the other residents and I found the superintendent dead in his office. His body was dry, bone dry, desert dry. All of the moisture had been sucked right out of him. Tichipa pulled up a picture on her phone and handed it to Fabiana. Fabiana shrieked, put that thing away. Tichipa complied. Fabiana said, I don't think I've ever seen anything so terrible. Poor dude, he looks like one of those Applehead dolls. I asked the EMTs if they were going to do an autopsy to determine the cause of death. They ignored me. Fabiana sucked her teeth in sympathetic dismay. They always do. And we end up dead because they won't listen. Tichuba dug around in her handbag until she found and pulled out the nail polish bottle. Look at it, Fab. Look closely. Look at an empty bottle of Carolina Beat lacquer. Fabiana cautiously picked the bottle up and peered into it. Stop kidding around, girl. Tell me what you see. Fabiana stared at it for a long moment, still looked as the server refilled their wine glasses with rosé. Finally, she said, That dust moves. I'm glad you saw it too. I thought I was going crazy. Fabiana still held the bottle close to her eye. I don't think this is dust, Tichuba. I saw one fragment of whatever it is apart from the others move on its own. I see wings. 
like tiny infinitesimal scarlet wings, the wings of a moth, not a butterfly. The straggler eventually joined the rest of the swarm, I suppose, and it looked like a swirling dust. You think it's insects? Fabiana shrugged in response. I don't know. All I do know is you have to get the hell out of there. Tichibo was unlocking the door to her apartment when she heard the scream. It came from down the hall. She found herself running there and knocking on the door until Phyllis, the grandmother who lived there with her daughter Crystal and grandson Kendrick, opened it. What's wrong, Miss Phyllis? she asked. Miss Phyllis was wild-eyed and apoplectic, apparently unable to speak. She gestured weakly to an open doorway off the L-shape of the apartment. More screams came from there, mostly Crystal saying, Lord, Lord, Lord. Tichuba left Miss Phyllis behind to look in the doorway. She tried to make sense of the bizarre scene. This was obviously a child's room full of Thomas the Tank Engine paraphernalia. The Google-eyed train's face on toys and curtains and posters with its frozen smile stretched across the face. The walls were spattered with moving constellations that came from a projector lamp. Tichuba saw little Kendrick being cradled by his mother in what looked like a grotesque parody of the Pietà. His limp body draped over her lap. His eyes were closed and fluttering as if he were fighting to keep them open. Some nightmare thing wouldn't let him wake up. Things moved on his unconscious body. Scarlet specks, a tide of them spilling over his pajamas, arms, and face. The tiny little blistered-colored things vibrated as they moved and they moved with purpose, heading for his nostrils and slightly open mouth. She imagined the minuscule coating his nasal passages, flurrying in the chambers of his sinuses, ricocheting and embedding themselves in the spongy alveoli as they drank up the mist of the boy's body, drying out mucous membranes, turning plasma into dust. She heard Kendrick begin to wheeze, heard the raspy rattling in his chest, those creatures have done the same thing to me every night, she thought. She recalled her dreams about Martian red deserts and dust storms. She switched on the overhead light. The stars became invisible. The moth things slowed down and lazily detached themselves from the child's body. They drifted upward, red motes of dust heading toward the ceiling, heading toward the grates of the vent. More of them dribbled from Kendrick's nose and mouth. It looked like a twinkling river of blood. Tichuba dug around in her purse until she found a bottle of spray lotion. She spritzed the red speckled air with a thick mist, saturating it. A clump of the things fell from the air, a worm-like wriggling ball of red paste with the consistency of snot. The coagulated mess fell on the floor with a wet splat. Tichuba, Crystal, and Miss Phyllis watched with disgust at the wet wings flexing in globules of oily lotion. Tichuba said, Quick, we have to get the rest of this stuff out of Kendrick. Wake him up and make him drink water. Maybe that will flush them out. Crystal carried Kendrick into the kitchen, where he blinkingly woke up in the harsher light. They got the confused child to slurp down a couple of glasses of water. Then he began coughing body racking spasmodic coughs. His mother patted his back, calling Kendrick her little angel, her sweetheart, her precious boy. Then he vomited. Out of his mouth came a stream of red paste. They saw fragments of wings and waterlogged pieces of something drip onto the floor. 
The swarm of dust insects was decimated, but more lived in this forgotten, neglected building full of brown and black bodies. Were these tiny, moth-like vampires conscious of what they did as they fed upon the sleeping bodies, draining the moisture of breath, crawling down throats? Perhaps they weren't malevolent, these winged specks of decay. Bologna Heights. More like Helona Depths. Back in her apartment, Tichuba blocked the vent with a piece of plywood. It was a temporary measure. She thought of black mold or Legionnaire's bacteria brought to life with some dark magic. She thought about contacting the press or an exterminator, but people ignored the superintendent's death and the complaints brought by the other residents. It was unlikely that anyone would listen to a black trans woman. She would have to fix this on her own. Survival was in her DNA. Survival and its importance was why she chose her name. Titus, her birth name, had been meek and a victim of the church, his family, and society. Titus would have succumbed to the dust moths and been one more epidemiological statistic to be ignored. Tituba, however, would fight. She would survive like the historical woman she'd named herself after. As she lay down at 4 a.m., exhausted from saving Kendrick's life, she heard the scarlet moths skittering around in the blocked vents banging against the plywood barrier. I dare you, she said, and she began coughing. Violence was in her lungs, her chest, her throat, her head. She coughed so hard that black spots appeared before her. Some of those things must have found their way into me. The malevolent red moths were attacking her with clear intention. It could not have been a coincidence. They had heard her issued challenge and now they responded. If, when, Tichuba survived this assault, she would destroy the miniature dust demons. She would kill them tonight. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new episodes every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod and supporting this podcast. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout-out online on Twitter or Instagram at nightlightpod, or like us on Facebook at nightlightpod. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this week's episode by Davis Walden. Don't forget, it's October and that means giveaways. This week, we're giving away a copy of Richard Thomas's anthology, Tribulations. To win this collection of stories of suffering and sorrow, all you have to do is ask a friend to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Make sure you tag us so we get your entry. Once you and your friend are following us, you'll be entered. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Did you know that mosquitoes swarm in a way similar to locusts? In fact, one of the coldest states in the United States has one of the largest mosquito swarms in the world. There are so many of them that the caribou there even alter their migration patterns to avoid them. We'll be back next week with a new story and our full cast audio drama production for Halloween. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.